Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and today I'm talking about why it's okay to start messy. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. A dream of perfectly clean marble countertops with every ingredient already pre-measured in its own little cup, glass, and bowl. Of a fine-grain gaming table with etchings of dice and pull-out trays for every player. Damascus knives hand-forged and sharpened with a surgical edge, each independently carved with a specific purpose for vegetables, one for fish, one for meats. Custom character artwork commissioned for every player is on display at the gaming table. But for now, I'll wake up from this and I'll use scratched pans. I'll have binders with the corners worn down exposing cardboard and stitching that's fraying on the edges, stickers peeling and worn. I'll have a drawer absolutely chock full of kitchen utensils that I will inevitably have to dig through just to find a potato peeler that will always, for some reason, be so far in the back of the drawer that it might as well have drifted to the ethereal plane. But this is how we start messy. You hear it everywhere. It's often talked about in the media that things online, or in really any form of media, are often depicted as more perfect than they really are. And often, this is true. It's a pretty... You can, you can go to any social media site and look through the high-quality photographs of even ordinary people going about their days, often spending many attempts retaking the same image to get something that feels candid and has just the right light, or professional photography with full lighting equipment setups just to get a, a few good images. It's the way that we kind of depict things. We want to show things in the best light possible because, and that's cool, there's a lot of reasons to go out there and try to get the best picture you can. Maybe you want it to be as funny as possible or look as good as possible or whatever. But the point is that in the beginning, when you're first starting out with anything, taking all of these types of media or representations of final products is probably not where you're going to get. Your first Dungeons and Dragons session, or whatever TTRPG of choice you have, is not going to be a astounding, twitch-breaking success online where millions of viewers come to see your very first episode. At least in, if you don't have some other kind of clout that you are already able to leverage to back this up. If you're just starting out and you're not famous, <laughs> then you're probably not going to start famous, and that's okay. In fact, it's probably a good thing. The A lot of people, myself included, get kind of caught up in perfectionism, and wanting to put your best foot forward is fine, but it can also set you up with a lot of like anxiety or expectations that you're just putting on yourself and you don't have to do that. You cannot have expectations. Now, 
Some may argue that this is much more difficult than it sounds, and I would agree with them. But it's something to keep in mind, that having the space and time to learn a thing, to make mistakes, to get messy, is a really important part of learning. In the summer of 1998, I acquired a copy of the Advanced D&D Player's Handbook, 2nd Edition. Google was still a company that wouldn't formally be founded for another few months, and 3rd Edition D&D was almost five years out from existing. I did not purchase the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual, or any supplements. In fact, I did not know they even existed. I had played a couple of sessions of Hackmaster, hosted by a friend in the most stereotypical we-played-in-their-mother's-basement sort of way. Uh, I'd only played a couple of sessions in person with a few other people, and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And there were several roleplay sessions with one-on-one with the DM over the phone that we could do in between gaming sessions for bonus experience, gold, or items. We had absolutely no clue what we were doing. Uh, he may have. Our, our dungeon master wasn't, uh, he wasn't completely incompetent, that's for certain. But I'm not even sure that I can judge that because I had no idea what was going on. I just picked up the clicky-clack dice items and rolled them when I was told to and tried to find out what numbers matched my Thatco and how cascading criticals worked. This was a total disaster, but it did not stop me in the slightest. Quite the opposite. I was so excited that I took this player's handbook, which had rules for what I did not know was really only half of the game, and... I did my best to figure out how it worked using just that. I spent hours creating characters. Oh, don't we all? <laughs> I, I did it repeatedly. I skipped over huge chunks of the book, obsessed over others, and tried to figure out how exactly this game worked uh, in sort of a haphazard and messy manner. I've talked in my Recipes and Rulebooks episode about how I don't tend to read things cover to cover, and while I'm pretty sure that over the course of the six or so months that I spent obsessing over the second edition player's handbook, that I probably did cover every page, I'm still pretty certain that it wasn't in order, and I probably wasn't paying close enough attention to realize that I was dealing with half of a gaming system. Or if I did, I really didn't care. There wasn't really going to be a lot of people that I could play with at that time anyway, especially over the summer, as I did not have access to a car yet, uh, nor did any of my friends. We were all in junior high, and getting together for these types of things once a week was probably not going to happen. I also had a little bit of a quote-unquote day job, working as a, the person who goes and sets up the neighborhood pool, um, since we had just moved into a subdivision that had one of those things in the middle of it. So instead, I just spent my time thumbing through the manual, loving the artwork. It became a waterlogged, uh, warped, and, and broken man. I, I almost kind of wish I still had it just to see how frayed and, like, the ink was bled out. It was washed out in a lot of places. It got hit with pool water many times. And But this did not stop me. I still had 
several sleepovers where I wouldn't call it Dungeons and Dragons because especially for those of us like boomer gamers that grew up in the late 80s, early 90s will know that D&D was not a popular thing then. It was not cool to be a nerd. And a lot of people would shy away not having any idea what the game was. They just knew that the term was probably something to be avoided if they wanted to keep their social standing. So instead, I would just say, hey, do you want to play this cool board game thing that I'm working on? And while technically it was kind of half me because I had to make up quite a few of the rules, I was going off of just the player's handbook stuff, it um, it allowed me to bring other people in and to convince them to create characters and then go on role-playing adventures against monsters that I had to largely make up on my own using what information I had as far as how the rules worked and how player characters work, I kind of teased out as much as I could as far as things like hit points and dice rolling and whatnot. I don't think that I even had my own full polyhedral dice set at this time, so I may have had to switch over to using way more d6s than you're supposed to. I, I think I probably just completely homebrewed my own system using the <laughs> the second AD&D book as kind of a reference. Uh, but it was fun, and it was awesome, and it got me my start. And while I wasn't an avid player, and when school started the next year, I largely dropped trying to play D&D, uh, when 3rd edition came out, I was graduating high school and meeting other people who played D&D in college and were totally unashamed to do so. So I started doing that and kind of was introduced to the the wide world of people purchasing hundreds of rule books. The third edition was wild, carrying literal duffel bags worth of like 60 pounds of books to gaming sessions. Uh, not myself necessarily, I didn't have that kind of money, but I knew people who would arrive with a couple of duffel bags and be the craziest dungeon masters you could imagine. It was a good time. But all of this is to say that that messy start, the playing the game completely wrong, knowing that I was having to make do with what I had, was a messy start. Cooking is, in many ways, one of the messier things that you can learn how to do, because it involves a lot of various viscosities of liquid that are going to splash everywhere, uh mixing bowls and stirring over full soup pots, things boiling over, burning, uh, and getting crusted onto pans. It's You're going to make them. If nothing else, even if you cook perfectly, the, the term messy, you're going to have messy dishes that you have to wash afterwards. So no matter what, it's going to be messy. So get over that now. And I would say that I, I saw a meme the other day that uh, I had you know commented on and shared on my Twitter if you want to go dig for it. But essentially, it had like four kind of quote unquote lower quality ingredients on it and was something like the four horsemen of being a, a bad cook. And I was so happy that the first comment that I had seen of the person that had retweeted this, I don't have their name pulled up at the moment, but... They, they basically said, I will outcook you with these four ingredients and a $12 Walmart pan whose nonstick coating has peeled off. And I loved that because I think there is so often this kind of ideology that 
a lot of people can fall into that you have to have good tools or good equipment or the best, most professional items available to a craft to even begin. And a lot of people, myself included, know at their heart that this isn't true, but I, I'm a hobbyist at heart. I, I There are many hobbies that I partake in, and I fall under the trap of wanting the shiniest, best tool to do the job before I even know how to use it. And really, it's oftentimes more beneficial to get the cheapest, grungiest one that you can because, one, you don't know if you're going to love it, so why spend a whole bunch of money on the best thing? And two, you don't know how to use the best thing. Like, maybe there's a certain way to hold it or use it or keep it from breaking or upkeep that you have to do maintenance to keep it in its best shape or whatever. And learning these types of things on the crummier version of the tool is going to go a long way towards knowing what you want in a high-quality version of the tool. There's uh, an often quoted something or other that goes along the lines of uh, the artist is not, their tools don't make the artist, right? And this is so, so true that you could have every perfect kitchen implement perfectly organized in a massive kitchen. And if you don't have any experience, walking in there to scramble an egg is going to be difficult. You're not just going to walk in and make a perfect, you know, four course meal just because all of these really high quality tools are there. In fact, it may be more overwhelming uh, especially if somebody is there like like judging you the whole time, like that's not the knife that you use for that. That's not what that pan is used for. That's not a mixing bowl, it's a ramekin. Like you you will be overwhelmed by the number of items and specialty tools that can exist there. And whereas in a home kitchen that has a few plastic bowls, like as long as you aren't melting a plastic bowl on the stovetop, you're probably going to be pretty okay in the long run. And I would say that this goes true for D&D as well, uh, or any you know classic tabletop role-playing game. It is definitely helpful to have uh, the core rulebooks of a system, but it's also completely okay to take the skeleton of a system and just kind of mess about with it for a little while. You're more than welcome to roll dice against yourself and see what happens when you create two opposing characters and then fight them to learn how the combat rules work. And in the end, most role-playing games really don't exist without the role-playing, so largely the foundation of all of the systems is storytelling. So focusing on that and letting the rules kind of learn as you go is going to be okay. Imagine the first person to pick up a Dungeons & Dragons rulebook in their city, town, or local playgroup. And while today it's great to have the internet and Reddit and social media to get advice and YouTube videos to explain rules, conflicts, and things like that, in a situation where you don't have those things, maybe you brought this first, the first purchase of a D&D core set out on a camping trip where a group of people are going to go play, camp, play D&D in the woods for a week, they're probably going to get a lot wrong, and it is probably going to be the most exciting time and interesting, fun stories that are going to come out of that. It's 
it's just about having the, the courage to start. And if you don't have all of, you can have all of the best advice, but it won't matter until you get in there and do it. You have to try. You have to experiment. And knowing that that is a requirement, I think, is something that, for me, allows me to back off of my anxiety some and my concerns with how things are going to end up because I know I have to try and there's probably going to be some failure. So why worry about it? Just get in there and do it. Uh, especially with things like D&D, uh, the, hit criti- the hit show Critical Role, uh, which most D&D players are at least aware of its existence, and a lot of people outside of D&D, now that it's becoming a bit of a cultural phenomenon, uh, they have over a thousand hours, a thousand hours of time just in recorded episodes that have been played on Twitch and YouTube. And still, almost every single episode, a really trained eye or rules lawyer can find something that they did wrong. Either something that they should have known from last week's episode or a rule that they may just have to skip out on. And this is 100% okay. This is this is not the time that I'm trying to call them out as, see, they're the bad players that don't do things right. No, quite the opposite. It's that you can look at the trained professionals and know that they still mess up, that they're still going to make mistakes, and they just kind of carry on through it. And they're also totally not afraid to ask questions like, hey, I think I can do this. Is this how the spell works? You hear that all the time from all of the players and it's totally it's just refreshing to see that if they don't have to be perfect then you don't either and just keep that in mind when you're going out to play there's tons of cooking shows especially the uh the the kind of competition cooking shows i got into uh the great british baking show or bake off for quite a while and it's sometimes easy to get into a mode where I think like, oh, I can cook better than that person, right? And these are, I mean, yeah, they're quote unquote ordinary people off the street or whatever, but they're also almost always people who have spent their whole lives baking. I actually can't bake very well. I'm more of a sauce person, but knowing that they've spent like their whole lives baking And when they're under time constraints and the pressure of being on TV and in a competition, and probably while they're at home alone by themselves too, they're still going to mess up, especially if they're trying something new. Now, if you're baking something that you've baked a thousand times before, sure, maybe you can get it right. Maybe not. There's still always room for failure. But especially if you're trying something new, as can be seen by the technical challenges, uh, it's pretty easy. The technical challenges, for those that don't know, are where they get like they all have to cook the same thing and they don't know what the recipe is or what ingredients they're going to have. And they don't even have an example of what it's supposed to look like. And it's usually some obscure item that uh, many of them may not have even heard of before. And they've got a really pared down recipe and a very strict time limit to do it. And then they've got to try their best to just make it happen. So it's something where it, it 
places them in an uncomfortable place doing something they likely haven't done before to challenge them in their skills to see how they operate, how what they're able to make by the end. And while I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to learn how to cook, it's it's just good to see that there are, no matter how skilled you are, there's always going to be something else to learn, something that you've not experienced some recipe that has instructions you don't understand, or a gameplay scenario where rules conflict in a way that maybe no one else has ever experienced before. Uh, There's plenty of places on Twitter where you'll see this happen, and official writers of the game have to try to explain their meaning and hope to get to some kind of rules clarification on some really edge-case scenario. So know that your table is going to be a mess. Your kitchen is going to be a mess. Uh, when planning D&D campaigns or just thinking about planning a game or a campaign, I have ended up with half a dozen books from various systems open and spread across the floor of the living room with scratch paper and journals and notebooks, multiple writing utensils and various types of notes being tapen, taken, Sticky notes, twist ties, scraps of paper, and bubblegum wrappers used as page markers. Basically, whatever is within reach now becomes an implement of figuring out how to make this campaign work. And it's one of those things where I believe that, in fact, cooking is probably less messy than D&D story planning because cooking is largely confined to the kitchen, where... D&D will easily spread across the house, and I will have multiple desks, uh, maybe a computer open, a laptop in another room, a tablet somewhere, a phone on a web page, and any hard surface becomes a storage platform for notes, miniatures, dice, and what have you. After several hours of being in a fugue state of planning like this, it can take quite a while to gather up and clean up all of the supplies from multiple rooms. Whereas in cooking, you're, for the most part, going to be stuck in the kitchen, so at least it confines the mess, even if there are more spills and things involved. So I would say that if you've never cooked before, literally nothing ever, and you want to get started, start in a messy way. Start with eggs. Eggs are something that are cheap, plentifully available, and there are so many ways to cook them that even if you fail at cooking exactly what you were trying to make, you probably succeeded in making another specific dish. So you can, for the most part, always get a learning experience out of it. A fried egg becomes a scrambled one very quickly. So it's not the tools that you have access to. It's really just overcoming that fear or anxiety or frustration to get in and try. Eggs are also probably a really good start because they're inherently messy. Just cracking an egg is a messy experience. And uh, for a while, when I was doing very large volume cooking, I was able to crack one egg in each hand at a time because I had to crack uh, literally hundreds of them a day. It's not something that I can still do to this day very well because it's a skill that it's, one, more fun than anything, and uh, 
two, you got to kind of keep practiced on it for it to be uh, really, you know, always on on standby. And I don't eat quite as many eggs now as uh, I used to use in normal cooking. So, but it's, it's, oh, it, that's just it. It's going to be messy. It's from literally the first step, like crack the egg open. You have to make a mess. You have to get in there and just play around with it and enjoy that portion. Like find ways to overcome those anxieties of, I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to make a mess. I don't want to fail throw all of that out and just focus on the fact that it is going to be messy. And as long as you clean it up later, you'll be okay. Of course, there are some places where I would suggest that if you do want to utilize the internet to learn some things, there are some skills that are pretty helpful. And I would say most of those revolve around safety in cooking. Um, there's Less of a chance that you're going to uh, cut yourself playing D&D with anything more than probably a paper cut unless you get into really extensive role playing and you're bringing in props, at which point, please learn prop safety. Otherwise, I would say stick with things like uh, understanding the the right way to use a knife and how to sharpen a knife are probably a couple of your first skills to really pick up in cooking. And just move slow. You don't have to chop things super duper fast. Uh, you can. I actually don't move very quickly with a knife because I would much rather keep all of my fingertips than save uh, an eighth of a second or even five seconds cutting an onion or something like that. Right? Uh, I would. I'm much rather just keep all my fingers intact. <laughs> with all of that said, I would like to take just a little bit of time to also address something that is kind of on the opposite side of this, but I think is still kind of related. And that is the tendency to look at somebody that is either performing or cooking or doing really any skill or task. And when you have that thought of, man, that looks easy, or that person makes it look easy, it's one of those things where mastery is how you make things look easy. That a really well-developed artist or craftsperson is going to make every pen stroke is going to be intentional. There may there will still be mistakes, but those mistakes are going to usually be less accidents and more attempts at fleshing out a design. An artist may draw a line several times on a picture to see how it looks in each of those different positions before selecting the one that they want to be the final line. And they're going to know exactly what curves they want to draw and how to draw them without having to redo them multiple times. And when I see people and I think to myself, oh my god, that looks so easy, why isn't it this way or that way? It's something to, to remind myself to step back and realize that they probably have thousands of hours doing it and that when I go to do it, I don't need to, to have that thought of how easy they made it look in mind. They also, a lot of times when you're making videos, you may cut out boring parts or speed up or slow down certain things. Tutorial videos are meant to be tutorials, not 
full-blown, here is the five hours that this took to make this happen. Uh, and even when you're watching things that are sped up, and they say this is sped up, like time lapses, sometimes, you, at least for me, I get the feeling that it's like, oh, that actually only took 15 minutes to do when it was, you know, eight times speed and is actually several hours of work. So when I spend 15 minutes trying to do it and I don't have the same result, I can get kind of caught up in myself. And it just takes a minute to realize that, no, that was actually not only several hours of work compared to 15 minutes, but also thousands of hours of work getting good enough to do it in those couple of hours. And realizing that my works are going to be a mess and that I may eventually get those thousands of hours of practice and I can make it look easy for somebody else. If you ask that person how they got so good or how they make it look so easy, almost every single artist of any craft will tell you practice. It's the same way that actors we forget are even acting sometimes because they're so good at it that they are able to portray the characters that we are you know grow attached to and sometimes forget that they're still just people playing a part but they're so good at acting that they can immediately get us emotionally invested in experiencing things with them or having them become somebody that they're not in real life and then when I go to the game table and make goblin voices, I know for a fact that I am not probably putting people in the cave, the goblin cave itself, but um, that doesn't stop me from doing it. It doesn't stop me from enjoying it. It doesn't stop me from getting in there and being messy and seeing if I can make a mouth noise that I am not so certain I can make. So I, I have fun getting messy, and I will say that, you know... There are certain aspects of cleanup that are easier in one than the other. Uh, it's also one of those things where the cleanup can be a lesson, too. You learn in a kitchen to start using the minimum number of tools required or to organize your space in a more efficient manner to keep you from walking back and forth all the way across the kitchen to get the same things that you need over and over and over. So the mess is what helps teach the skill. The more mistakes you make, as long as you are being aware of them and as long as they aren't dangerous to you, the faster that you will learn how to get better at a particular skill, whether it is keeping things straightened up in the kitchen and cleaning as you go so that you don't have a massive pile of dishes or making sure that you close books and bookmark them and don't need four different notepads and six pencils at the ready just to write down a few notes of your campaign. I have still not learned this lesson, but I will speak it to you anyway because I feel like you can learn from my mistakes. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you so much to those of you who have reached out to me on the various social media platforms that can be found through the card.co website in the description and have given me feedback. I really appreciate it, and uh, I love being able to chat with you more directly. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter, but you can also find me fairly active on Reddit sometimes as well. And uh, I'm probably not as active on Instagram, but I still do make sure and post things there. 
If you're looking for more content and want to hear more of my glorious voice, uh, you can check out my other podcast, which is called Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, and it's co-hosted by both myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.